0: So we're looking at Hebrews chapter 1 and beginning at the first verse. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Is superior to theirs.
1: It was quite a common scene when I was growing up. We were around the meal table, my brothers—I've got two of them—my parents. We were having an animated discussion. Some might call it an argument, but it was usually for us an animated discussion, and it might have been something about an event in history. Or it might have been about a scientific discovery. And none of us knew the answer. So one of us would bound up the stairs to a uh, bookshelf and there was a stack of red books side by side like that. They were known as Children's Britannica. Anyone ever heard of that? Children's Britannica. And that was where you went if you wanted to find out the answer to a question to solve a dispute. But now what do you do? You Google it, don't you? You go to your phone and you Google it. Now is the day of unprecedented access to all kinds of information. But the challenge is not so much accessing it, it's how do I know it's true? How do I know it's the authoritative voice that I'm hearing? Is that fair? So I thought I'd try an experiment. I've been preparing for this. Who knows what ChatGPT is? Do you all know? It's like an artificial intelligence. It's searched search the web and you can have a conversation with it. So I tr- asked ChatGPT this question. Where can I find the most authoritative voice? I did not give the whole answer. It was quite a long answer. But this is what it said. Finding the most authoritative voice on a particular topic can be subjective as authority can vary depending on the context and subject matter. They gave some examples of where you could go. Academic institutions and research organisations. Government and official websites. Subject-specific journals and publications. Established experts and thought leaders. Professional associations and conferences. Trusted news outlets. Then these sobering little words at the end. Remember to critically evaluate the information you find and consider multiple perspectives. Authority should be based on expertise, credibility, and evidence rather than relying solely on a single source. But people still end up listening to different voices. And I was a bit disappointed by a striking absence. So I asked a follow-on question. That's one thing you can do. There was no mention of God. So I said, where can I hear the authoritative voice of God? That's a quite interesting question. Do you want to hear the answer? What do you make of it? The concept of hearing the authoritative voice of God is Subjective and can vary depending on religious or spiritual beliefs. And it continued, here are a few general avenues that people may explore to seek a sense of the authoritative voice of God. It was funny, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Sacred texts, prayer and meditation, religious leaders and community, personal revelation, spiritual experiences. And he carries on. It's important to note that experiences of hearing the voice of God or seeking divine guidance are highly personal and can vary among individuals. It's advisable to approach such experiences with an open mind, respect for diverse beliefs, and if needed, seek guidance from trusted religious or spiritual authorities within your specific tradition. What did you make of that? Two things struck me there. First of all, Chat GPT says there's no such thing as the authoritative voice of God. And the second is, so speaks the authoritative voice of Chat GPT. <laughs> the convention this year is on the theme of human. We chose the theme for three reasons, or to focus on three things. The first is around our vocation as people made in God's image. What does it mean to be a human being made in God's image? What are we here for? The second was to have a chance to look again and gaze again on the Jesus Christ, perfect God, perfect human. And the third one was to dive into and look at some contemporary thorny questions which are both at the interface of culture wars but also deeply personal about what it means to be a human today and we need to think through where do I find the authoritative voice on these things The striking thing, of course, is that these questions around this are ravaging our culture and they're ravaging the church. Just I only say I'm a Church of England ordained minister and you know what I mean. And in our evening celebrations, we're looking at the opening, letter, uh, opening chapters of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. If you've got a Bible accessible, it would really help me if you've got it open or got your phone, don't look at ChatGPT, But get your phone out and find the Bible passage. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Just a few things at the start, just by way of introduction to the letter as a whole. Who wrote it? Short answer, we don't know. Historically, people thought it was Paul, but the style is different. It doesn't say it's by Paul. Others have said perhaps it was Apollos. We don't know for certain. When was it written? Again, we don't know for certain. Some people have said the, the key moment in the first century was the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, and you might have expected for um, people to have left lair, if you like, um, signposts that in fact this what, that Hebrews was before or after this destruction within the text itself. Scholars debate, but it seems there's no watertight answer. Happy to pick up on that afterwards if you'd like to. Who is it to? Well, again, we don't know exactly. But it does look like it's to Jewish believers because of the way um, the whole argument of the letter goes or the, the book goes. They're struggling with a commitment to Christ. There's pressure from the outside. They've had plunging of their goods, confiscation of property. They're struggling to meet together and it wasn't just because of COVID. And... And they're waning in their zeal for Christ. There's an inward waning. They're in danger of heading away from Christ. Of course, that's a constant danger in every age. don't know where you are with the Lord, as it's what's brought you here this evening, whether you're on fire for the Lord or drifting a bit or meandering or struggling. What is it? I've sometimes used the word letter. It actually isn't technically a letter at all. There's something described like that. At the end of it, in chapter 13 and verse 22, it describes itself as a brief word of exhortation. Now, I would say that Hebrews is not very brief. But nonetheless, for them it was brief. In many ways, it's a bit like a written sermon. And our passage this evening speaks very directly into the question of where can I find the most authoritative voice? It's an extraordinary opening. It's actually one sentence. It's beautifully structured. It's attention grabbing the repeated sounds. And it begins in verses 1 and 2 as follows. And what I want you to do as I read this out, if you've got a Bible in front of you, or I hope it'll appear on the screen behind me, is listen carefully and think, what are the contrasts that are here? And what is the same? Okay, you got that? Here we go. Verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Contrasts? First one is about time. Did you notice that? It was in the past and then in these last days. The Jews of that day divided history up into two halves. There was the age of promise and then the age of fulfillment when the Messiah had come on the scene. And the dawning of this new age is the last days. It's not some very, very, very end point. It's these last days when the Messiah has come on the scene. Actually, we divide time up into two, don't we, with B.C. and A.D.? At least, we used to. Now changes for some people. What about the audience? Do you notice the contrast in audience? It was to our ancestors, and now it was to us. There's something uniquely privileged about us. We are in these last days, and the God is speaking, has spoken to us. Significant moment. But you also know the contrast in the ways of speaking. So it was back then in the past for our ancestors, in many times and in various ways, through the prophets. You go back to the Old Testament. And if you read the prophets, in many ways, it's describing actually the whole of the scriptures, what Hebrews is doing here, there are many different ways in which the prophets spoke. There were direct oracles. there were visions that were reported. There were songs like lament songs. But perhaps most striking of all, these things where the prophet embodied in themselves the message they were trying to say. Some very curious kinds of things. So the prophet Ezekiel, do you remember the prophet Ezekiel? He had a job to do. He had to model the siege of Jerusalem. So he created this model of a siege. And he was to lie down on his left side for 390 days. That's still kind of September 24, if you imagine. And that wasn't enough. He then to lie on his right side for 40 days. Dramatic sign act, or Isaiah if you look tuck to end very long book of Isaiah on the altars, and Isaiah chapter twenty, you see Isaiah is told to go around, and you'll be relieved it's not been true. I've not been asked to do this, stripped, naked, and with buttocks bared. It's true, because he was trying to demonstrate the judgment that was coming. On God's people for their rejection and rebellion against Him, so many times in various ways. But now He's spoken in one who is a son, and through a person. So those are some of the differences. What did you notice about? What was the same? God has spoken. It's the same God, the same action. Notice it doesn't say, in the past God spoke and now Jesus spoke. It says God spoke in the past and now God spoke through one who is a son. It was true he spoke through Jesus, but that's not the point. Rather, it's the very same God who spoke in the past to our forefathers and spoken in Jesus. Why does he make this point? It's because though they are believing in Jesus, they are still believing in the same God as they did before. Don't walk away because you're still believing the same God who's now spoken through one who's in a son. They've not gone to worship another God different. This is still the same God. There is continuity between them. They are still affirming and able to affirm the same story. Hero is Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And on that regard, we shouldn't really op- overplay the contrast. Because it says, I don't know if you remember back to the verses we've got in front of you. It said, but, in the many English versions, but in the last days he's spoken to us through his son. The but's not there in the original. It's, it's trying to capture something of the contrast. But actually there's amazing Continuity. Because all through Hebrews, God is said to still speak through the words of the Old Testament scriptures. You, Matt has given you a task, which is to go and take a photo of yourself in the mirror. When I was a little boy or at school, sometimes a teacher would say, You can have a Mars bar if you. dot, dot, dot. The first person who comes to me and shows me or tells me where in Hebrews. God the Father speaks through the Old Testament Scriptures. God the Son speaks through the Old Testament Scriptures. And God the Holy Spirit speaks through the Old Testament Scriptures. I'll get you a Mars bar. Because all God is said to still speak through the Old Testament Scriptures. Of course we need to understand them correctly. But it's still God's contemporary word. We should never walk away from it. So you have got that picture, God has spoken. This is a climactic moment in history. And he's spoken through one who is a son. Okay, little task for you. Who am I talking about here? Don't shout out. Your task is to put your hand in the air and you're confident that you think you know. Okay, I won't count you out if... You, are you ready? Chat show host... African American. One commitment, very well done, gone early. Overcome adversity. Confession. You, know, you have no idea. Or you just don't want to be brave. you ask allowed to put your hands in your you know, this isn't just me talking. Confessional approach. Harry and Meghan. <laughs> Do you mean So who doesn't know? Who is it? Oprah Winfrey. Okay, good one. You're getting the hang? That was a bit feeble, I have to say. Ready for the next one? Who am I talking about? Cricketer. Inspirational. Game-changing. Leader. Entertainment-loving. Gutsy. Any ideas? I heard Freddie Flint off here is a good answer, but Ben Stokes was the right answer that I was thinking of. Here, yeah, well done. But did you notice there was no name mentioned, but a few words, a few phrases paint a picture. And it's exactly the same here. The preacher unpacks. One who is a son with seven phrases. And we're going to dive in for a few minutes just at each one of these to paint this picture and get this amazing picture. No name is given, do you notice? But we know who it is. One who is a son. First of all, whom he appointed heir of all things. I hope you've made a will. When you make a will, you have to think out who's going to be the beneficiary. You often have multiple beneficiaries. But here there is only one beneficiary. He's appointed heir of all things. It's an interesting word, appointed heir. It's not that it was just his by right. It echoes back to the Old Testament, to Psalm 2 and verse 7. And there in Psalm 2 is a coronation psalm it says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. The heir of all things. This was God's king in the Old Testament who was going to be the heir of everything. And he reaches back further still to Abraham in Genesis 17, Where God says, I have made you, I have appointed you the father of many nations. So this one who is a son is God's king. But Jesus burst the banks. He's not going to inherit the nations. He's going to inherit all things. How special the son is. The second thing, little phrase, through whom also he made the universe. Again, he reaches back into the Old Testament. Think about his readers. He goes back to Proverbs and how wisdom is described there. Back to Proverbs 8. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. There it's wisdom speaking, and the writer to the Hebrews says now this is God, this is his Son who is the embodiment of wisdom. Have any of you ever been down into the head of Derwent Valley, into Borodale? It's a great place to go. Wainwright says it's the most beautiful square mile in England. It is absolutely stunning. If you go to the very end of the valley there, you can, you can head down to the rising of the start of the River Derwent. There are two streams, or gills, that are the, the start of the River Derwent. The styhead gill coming down from styhead tarn, and grains gill. And you've got these two streams that come together to make the River Derwent. And here, the writer to the Hebrews, the preacher says, We've got these two streams. We've got God's King coming together from the Old Testament. We've got God's wisdom coming together. Hearing to the one who is a son, how special the son is. And then he continues, the radiance of God's glory, or the radiance of his glory. Sometimes at the convention, I've been seen to go mountain biking at night. You might think that's bonkers. It probably is, and I've got one of those extremely powerful night bike lights that's able to take you off-road and see where you're going. But it's got one of those kind of dimmer switches where you can lose the power, and so it becomes doesn't blind cars if you're cycling on road or something like that. So, but here, did you notice? He is the radiance of his glory. Jesus is not God on a lower setting or on a dimmer switch. He's the full beam, full strength. He's not a ray of sunlight. He is the full sun, like the brightness of the sun. How special the sun is. And there's a fourth thing that you notice. The exact representation of his being. The original word here is character. Character. You find the word character used on Twitter. How many characters can you use in Twitter now? I think people say 10,000 It's no longer limited. It used to be 140, then 280, and now 10,000. But the origin of the word character is that of a kind of mould or a stamp. So someone, for example, was trying to um, make the, the carving of an emperor or something like that for a coin. They would make the, draw the picture of the representation and they'd stamp it into soft metal. And they would have the exact representation that was there. And God, if you like, in Jesus, there's a stamping of himself in the soft metal of his son. So you know exactly, exactly what God is like when we look at Jesus Christ. People say, oh, I don't believe in God. And I want to say, well, which God don't you believe in? Because the God reveals supremely in Jesus Christ. How special the Son is. To see the Son is to see the Father. And there's a fifth one, did you notice? Sustaining all things by his powerful word. It's not like one of those battery operated toys where the batteries run out and then that's the end. It's not like clockwork where God winds up the world and then lets it tick-tock, tick-tock until it runs out and you see the low battery sign on your charger or whatever, your phone or your whatever, you have to recharge it. No. He sustains all things because he is the exact representation of his being, the radiance of his glory. Therefore, No surprise, just as the father upholds, the son upholds everything. He's been around from eternity. These were wisdom images in the Old Testament that are now describing the son. And you might think, he's made everything, he's the king, he's going to be the heir of everything, exact representation. You could hardly go bigger, you could hardly go greater. But do you notice what he does here? Verse 6. After he had made purification for sins. Anyone want to be on holiday to Mull? Yeah. Mull has got some of the most stunning beaches I have ever seen. I went there for the first time this, uh, a, a few weeks ago, and it was hot. It was like the Mediterranean, but only better, because there was no one there. <laughs> Except for we went to go swimming on the beach one day, and unfortunately, a herd of cows came onto the beach. And we were just about... We thought, we'd be, could we have a, a swim while there? But they went into the water because they were thirsty and wanted the salt, I guess. And to make it worse, a bull came onto the beach and started pouring at the sand. So Bridget and I, we'd beat a hasty retreat until they'd gone. And we came out to swim in the beach, and we went to the sea, this paradise scene with beautiful clear water and bright yellow sand and the sun beaming down, and there are a bunch of fresh cowpats in the water... The Bible talks about sin in different kinds of ways. It can be rebellion against God. It can be falling short of God's glory. Or it can be defiling something, dirtying something, like the cow pat in the water. It needs cleansing. In the Old Testament, it was a tabernacle. It's also that because of the actions of sinful people. And here, the, the one who is a son made purification for sins. He dealt with all of our sins, cleansing, a bit like the tide that washes away the cowpats. He's not just the air, not just the creator, not just the shining of God's glory, not just the imprint of his being, not just the sustainer, but he brings cleansing. A bit like again with the River Derwent, you've got another thing, we've thought about God's king, we've thought about God's wisdom like Grainsgill and gill. But if you come in, in Keswick itself, you, you may know the river Greta that runs, through, joins the river Derwent, something else on the other side. And here the language we have is God's priest who we find here. God's king, God's wisdom, God's priest, the one who is a son. Which is why it finishes, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Have you ever one of those days when you're rushing around and you say, I haven't had time to put my feet up? What does, you, you say that because you haven't finished what you've got to do. Because you sit down when you're done. Job's done. It's exactly the same picture here. Echoes back into the Old Testament, Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Can you see how special this one who is a son is? God's king, God's wisdom, God's priest. As one writer puts it, the story of divine revelation is a story of progression up to Christ, but there is no progression beyond him. When Christ came, the word spoken in him was indeed The final word. That's why the Bible has got a back cover. He's finished. God's spoken. He has said what he needs to say. The old hymn, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. Or another song we're going to sing at the end. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. No wonder he inherited such a great name. And God's invitation to us this evening is a very simple one. Will you see how special my final word, my son, is? He's really really special. There are a bunch of ways you can completely miss the point here. Islam. They say, oh no, this wasn't the final word. Muhammad is the final prophet. Completely misses the point. Another one. Mormonism. Joe Smith. You need to have this Book of Mormon. No, he's finished his final word. He's spoken. Quakerism. Quakerism, of course, started with George Fox in the 17th century, and it was all about the inner light and the search for the inner light. But you look at where Quaker's at today. I looked up online at the Quaker chaplain at one university. He said there's no creed. And as one pungent wit or critic put it, the distance between the inner light and the outer darkness is very short. Because there's no creed. We've lost sight of God's final word, God's finished work. Or there's liberalism that says, oh, no, 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 no. The Bible, that was the roadmap for yesterday. What we need is a roadmap for today. It's what our wisdom tells us, or what scientific advances tell us, or what human experience says, or they only got it wrong. But no, God's word is final, and it is authoritative. If we want to look for God's authoritative voice, that's where we need to go. And so we're thinking how special the Lord Jesus Christ is. How special. So how are we going to make that ours? God's, his son, his final word. Well, I wonder, when you hear of talk of an heir or of a will, think of the son his son, the heir of all things, and breathe a word of thanks. When you feel the warmth of, it will sometimes, sunshine will be here, when you feel the warmth of the sun on you, you think, Lord Jesus, thank you, the irradiance the of God's glory. When you get a coin out of your pocket to pay for something, thank you, Lord, that you are the exact representation of your father, when you wash your hands, think of the one who's made purification for our sin and sat down, job done. ChatGPT says you should look for an authoritative voice who's got expertise, credibility, and evidence. God has spoken by his king, by his wisdom, and by his priest, all together in one who is a son. We need to look no further. Let's pray. Just a moment of quiet to pause and reflect. Just whether you really have seen how special God's son is. How special that final word is based on his finished work of making cleansing. Lord, we do want to thank you. Open our eyes, Lord. We were praying we would see Jesus. Lord, over this night, this week, we would see Jesus Christ and listen to his authoritative voice because you've spoken in one who is a son. Thank you. Amen.